You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous, the podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. I'm your host, Ebony Vines. And I'm your host, Pamela Shandro. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Theater Geeks Anonymous podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Thank you. you. (laughs) I just hit record because that was, yeah, I love it. That's funny. <laughs> I can repeat I, it. <laughs> you should. Well, Ebony and I, and maybe this will lead into you repeating that, but Ebony and I started this podcast because of our mutual love for musical theater. And so we were wanting to tell the stories of um, scandals and flops on Broadway and also new works that were coming up. But we, since the pandemic, have kind of turned our attention more to the inclusivity or lack of within theater and also obviously the marginalization of bodies and colors and genders and all of those kinds of things so a lot of that crosses over and my dad and I have had some conversations about that as well I'm definitely the guy to come to for flops and maybe some scandals (laughs) well we're going to talk about a scandal today okay all right Well, so first of all, we have to get this out of the way. Are you ready? Close your ears. Welcome. What's up, theater geeks? (laughs) What is up? We are so excited about this episode today because we've got (laughs) a very special guest, um, someone that actually my father, Don Shandro, if anyone was interested in knowing that, uh, (laughs) put us in contact with. Joe McCon- McDonald. Oh, shoot. McDonald. McDonald. I'm so Uh-oh. sorry. I know. Uh, but no, we're going to we're going to keep it in because that's important because <laughs> that was my mistake. And I apologize. McDonald. Joe McDonald. Well, it'll keep my enemies at bay anyhow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Joe, the reason I knew about you is because you are intrinsically tied to one of my favorite shows on Broadway. You're in town. And that's kind of the reason we're going to pick your brain today, but I'm sure that a lot of other things are going to come up within this conversation that our audience and also Ebony and myself are very excited to hear. Yeah, yeah. I So I never got to see it on Broadway. I've actually never seen a production of You're in Town, except I did see a bootleg version last oh, night. <laughs> which one did you see? <laughs> it, it was the Broadway version. Okay. I saw the Broadway, a bootleg Broadway last night because I was like, I need to have some context for like these songs. 
And unfortunately, a lot of the comedy was kind of cut out because of the shoddy camera work. Um, and, but- and the directing. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've seen the Broadway bootleg, you've kind of seen all three. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, this is, yeah, this is going to be the, the kind of fun story. So first of all, tell us how you were involved in your in town from the beginning. Okay, yes. from the very beginning. Well, <laughs> I was born, no. Um, so in 1997, I um, ha- had both my first Broadway show and got into my uh, previous long-term relationship with the one that I'm in now. And the person that I was in the relationship with, a guy named Jay, was an, an improviser from a group in New York known as Burn Manhattan, who was a very well-respected long-form improv group. Um, so at the end of my Broadway show, which was a bit of a flop, it was called Candide, and it only ran about four months. On our um, list. <laughs> <laughs> although I really loved being in it, and I have to tell you, there were so many great, talented people in that show, of course, yeah. including the amazing Andrea Martin, who will oh, never... She's brilliant. Just incredible. Just incredible. And I adore her as a person. But anyhow, I digress. Um, <laughs> at the end of that, I was at home. I had had surgery, not important, but I couldn't go back to performing right away because I had my gallbladder out. So I was at home, the phone rang and someone asked to speak to Jay. And that person turned out to be a gentleman named Greg Codis, who is the writer of Urinetown. And he was calling Jay because he wanted Jay, my partner at the time, to come to uh, meet with him and the composer, Mark Holman, and uh, try out some songs that they had written for this new musical that they were doing. And as I was talking to him, I happened to say, well, you know, I just got out of a Broadway show. Um, I, I can sing. I wouldn't, I'd be happy to come down and, you know, do something for you because I love new shows and all that kind of stuff. So he was like, oh, thanks a lot. And, but, you know, never said another word to me about it. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> then flash to the next, uh, later in the year, I guess it was, I can't tell you that this is a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so later in the year, they decided they were going to do a recording of the show, I think was first. Okay. And when, and they decided that, so, so Jay was playing um, the sort of uh, narrating character who is the, the officer. Cop? The, yes, the, the, yes, the cop. Mm-hmm. I think that's Officer Lock. Lockstock. Correct. Lockstock. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So I suppose your listeners have, will have some familiarity with this. A little, probably a little everything. bit. Okay. <laughs> so uh, he was playing Officer Lockstock. So they asked me to do the voice of a Caldwell Cladwell because I happen to have a large sort of baritone bass voice um, belied by my rather thin, <laughs> slight frame and generally youthful looks. Um, and at this time, you know, this is 25 years ago. So I was 33 years old. And so I did the recording along with um, some uh, several other people and it was fun. We had a great time and that was great. Then they said, oh, we want to do a reading of the show. And um, I said, okay. And so we met to start to do this reading. And in the process of doing the reading, it became very clear to me. Now, mind you, although I'd only had my first Broadway show, I had been in three national tours off Broadway I had spent years doing all those things you do in the theater world, you know, staged readings and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you just need to know that in the 
70s and 80s, you could do a staged reading that was literally like people sitting at a table reading and singing and get yeah. a producer. Yeah, yeah. But by the late 90s, you had to stage that sucker yeah. or nobody was going to be interested in you. Somewhere this was along the, the way, they lost their imagination. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, completely yeah. and utterly. So mm -hmm. you have to, I, I said to them, you know, you need to prepare this like you're doing it for the blind. Like it has to just pop so much. <laughs> Yeah. And then you have to say, we just threw it together this afternoon, although you've been rehearsing. <laughs> but, you know, that's how you play the game. So um, they were having us with, with music stands, sitting in chairs in like a, ha a half, like a straight line even. You know, and I, if you, in, in high school theater, they teach you no straight lines, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, said, I, I, I stood up to do my song and I, one of my songs, and I just was like, you know what? I got to move. So I began to perform the song the way that I would with a little bit of choreography on the top of my head and that kind of thing. Um, I had a background in choreography and, and those sorts of things. And I had a theater degree and that kind of stuff. So I said to them, look, you, you can't do this. You have to stage this show. And so what happened is I just said, I have a couple of ideas, you know? And then I began to stage the reading so that they would get some kind of interest. Like they're um, on the fly in the middle of the. Well, yeah, I mean, because that's here's amazing. The yeah. Well, thank you. I'm I don't know if it's amazing because it's the only way I've ever worked. And yeah. let me explain this as a director. I don't believe that I decide anything. I don't make things up. What I do is I get together in a room with a bunch of really talented people and I set them free and I wait for the universe to yell at me and whatever <laughs> it yells, I do. Yes. Yeah. That's how yeah. it works for me. So there is no such, I mean, I, it's not that I can't prepare. Of course I do research and everything, but it still requires talented people and the universe yelling to get anything done. Yeah. So in this particular situation, I had talented people all around me and the universe began to yell. So I just followed it. And it was very, very cursory because we didn't have a lot of time. It was like one rehearsal and we were going to go so the only person that really danced was me because I could dance off the top of my head you know yeah. um for like don't don't kill the bunny that song. yeah yes <laughs> okay <laughs> so um anyhow I knew I was wrong for that role so after we finished the reading I said to them look it's going to be like 20 years before I'm going to look anywhere near old enough to play this role and really even then I don't think I'll physically Right. Be right because mm -hmm. I just think there's a these are archetypes is how I sure. really saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I said, but if you ever wanted someone who could direct it and choreograph it, I'm your guy. Mm -hmm. So then flash forward to uh 1998, the uh Fringe Festival, the New York Fringe Festival, which yeah. was at that point only two years old. And they said, uh, we want to do this at the New York Fringe Festival. And I said, and they we want you to direct it. And I was like, okay. Awesome. So at that point, the show had eight characters and wasn't complete. So um, I said to them, okay, here's the thing. I've done some calculations and by my mind, the smallest group you can have on a Broadway stage, but the largest that you can have on an off-Broadway stage is about 14 people. Anything less and you, I mean, not that you can't have one man shows on Broadway, there, it's right. been done or even yes. a couple people shows, but when you're talking about a traditional musical and really you're in town for anything I might say about it was crafted 
in the the formula of a traditional yeah. American yeah. musical. They understood. It's like a Book of Mormon is the same way. They yeah. understood yeah. and they followed it to the letter. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Th- at that point, there was no end to Act One. There was. Uh, they didn't have the Act One finale. That's my favorite. Yeah, that, that wasn't done <laughs> yet. Awesome. Um, Run Freedom Run was a solo sung only by Bobby. By Bo- oh my gosh. Wow. There was there was no uh, chorus to speak of, um, except for like a little bit of like background um, stuff. Um, the the very ending was already in there, but that was all just just the 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 food the oohs and ahs like a couple yeah. of things. So um, you didn't have any of like the featured character roles. You didn't have Bobby's mother. You didn't have uh, Soupy so, or, oh yeah. Uh, yes, we had Bobby's mother. So we had Bobby Hope, Cladwell, Penny Pennywise, Little Sally, Lockstock, Bobby's mother, and Bobby's mother and, and one other person like doubled to be, what's his name? Hot... Blades, Harry. Yes. Half Blades, yeah. Harry. Like there were a couple of people that really like covered all the other things. Yeah. Like okay. two people. Okay. Okay. Which wasn't going to work for a right. real stage musical. Right. So I said to them, I need you to write more characters. I want you to, and I just gave some suggestions. Like, I think you should split these into two. And I think you need to do like this. This is how many guys I need and girls I need and this kind of stuff that I need. Right. Um, and then, um, they said to me, so they, they worked, they went back and they worked on it and they came back and they said, well, we're getting there. We've got, um, uh, think of tomorrow, Mr. Strong and all that stuff written, but we don't know what else to do to finish it. And I said, well, what's the opposite of think of tomorrow, Mr. Strong. And they were like, I don't know. And I said, what about today? (laughs) You know, it was obvious to me, obviously it was the universe yelling. Once again, it wasn't that I was brilliant. It's that everything's out there, you know, if, if yeah. it, and it just, it, it will, it will come to you if you're, I guess, in the right position or something. Yeah. Sure. So, and listening. So that anyhow, then we went to casting it and um, they knew already at that point that they wanted. So you also need to know this. They knew they wanted Jay and I knew I wanted Jay because Jay was brilliant. Yeah. Um, they knew that they, I didn't at that point know Spencer Caden, even though we went to the same college, but mm-hmm. she was years after me, and she was the substitute improviser in my partner's group. Oh, amazing. Okay. So I didn't know her, but I heard she was brilliant and I She's believed so them. So they yeah. knew they wanted her. And then I got, I basically cast the rest of the show. And I knew that I had wanted this woman, Louise um, Rosette, who had been one of the ensemble. Um, she actually hadn't been hope. She'd been like our ensemble woman oh. in the in the recording, in the reading, but she was so wonderfully talented and mm. she was so intelligent that I was like, I need her. I, I just felt it Yeah. Um, because I understood, I felt I understood what these archetypes were supposed to be. So mm-hmm. my hope was gonna be a, a woman that might look pretty, but she's really an intellectual. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. I mean heavy duty intellectual yeah and my Bobby was going to be in uh, a strapping Iowa bred you know white boy corn fed <laughs> as tall as I could get him broad shoulders and you know just 
you know, an aw shucks kind of a guy. Mm -hmm. And my Caldwell Cladwell was going to be Jackie Gleason. He was going to be a fat cat, you know, yeah. boss in the every, and my whole idea of the show was that it was in, I said to them, you know, it's, this show is really like a thirties archetypal musical. Sure. So um, I wanted on a proscenium stage and I had this very clear vision and I, and I want Penny Pennywise, I said for them, you know, she needs to be um, kind of a cross between, um, I don't know if you re remember, th there were these actresses, um, I think her name was Margaret Whitehead. She was in like movies in the thirties and she, um, she, she was a soprano and she was matronly and but she, but they were always flirting with her, and she was. And it was like she thought she was a young girl on the inside, but she was majorly on the outside. Okay. That and a, and and like Brunhilde, like a like a mm -hmm. like a soaring. Uh, I, I literally said I I want at points to to imagine that she has horns on her head. Yeah. Um. And so I had I had very clear visions, and and people. So, but of course it was the Fringe Festival, and they said to me, "Well, we didn't get a proscenium. We got this garage." <laughs> Like literally a garage in the Lower East Side that has a cement like floor that's raised 12 inches off the main floor. And then this, this seating that is that goes up in front of you and it doesn't really have wings. It, in fact, it's because it's a garage, it has that cement thing that goes all above your head all the way around three sides with a railing. Yeah. Oh dear. You know, <laughs> and, you know, and, and they've, they've, but they've, they've rigged it. And then off to the left, the other half of the garage is kind of where we're going to make dressing rooms and this other thing. And there's no air conditioning. It's the middle of Ooh. summer. Uh -huh. And, and there's going to be five shows a day in there. And you're going to come on, you're going to have like a half an hour turnover between shows. Oh, wow. And so, and, and your budget is $500. Yeah. That's so, the that epitome hasn't changed. of make it work. Yeah, no, huh? Yeah. The 500 <laughs> hasn't changed. And so I held auditions and I didn't get anybody <laughs> really that was old enough to be in this show. Like, you know, I got the young, young, wonderful people, but I didn't care. And I got one guy. So this guy that showed up to do Caldwell Cladwell was somebody that I graduated college with that, that also was in the improv world and people knew. And so I cast him. I cast this woman who was 24 years old or something to play Penny Pennywise, but she was like five foot 11. And oh, wow. she was well-shaped like she'd a nice. figure you know yeah yeah um and then i got this guy that was literally this wilson who was totally corn-fed and Aww. all these other young people and spencer caden who was absolutely a genius and everything so that she yeah. did and we got together and started rehearsing in this church basement and all i said to them was look I need you to empty out your tool chest. I believe every performer has a has a you know a toolbox of what all of their skills, and I need you to bring me every single skill that you have and throw it at me. Yeah. I don't care what it is. Don't be afraid. Just be brilliant. I, because I said every single person in the show has to have a fully formed story from beginning to end. You come from someplace and you're going someplace. So awesome. we're going to figure this out. And so yeah. when we did the opening of the show, I everybody had to have an activity. They had to have a job to do in their life. And they just have a passing through the center of town by the by, by the bathroom, the, the outhouse, <laughs> singing, you know, um, the, the urine town song. Okay, so... Um, then I also mm -hmm. had them very carefully choreographed to 
open up to get there and right when we were going to be able to get in the theater to open up all the garage doors and I had fans that everyone brought and we blew all the hot air we could out of the building because I need the you know <laughs> audience to be comfortable yeah. and in, in the rehearsal process we were doing run freedom run and I was like this is just not working for me so I said to the composer can I just try something mm. and he said sure and I said all of you organize yourselves like you're in a choir and I said to this so one good. girl who had a voice like a bell I said I just want you to sing run freedom run and hold the note just pull the pitch and she you know had that she had one of those voices you know run freedom run it was just like right on the pitch yeah and then I said I'm going to conduct you do whatever I tell you and I literally <laughs> just conducted them and would cut them off and whatever and after about you know 15 20 minutes of this the composer goes, I totally see where you're going. I got it. Great. Fabulous. He goes home, <laughs> he writes it and it's just beautiful. What yes, he's one of just my beautiful. favorite parts of that. Like, but, <laughs> I just loved you know, it so much. That I just, what that was just something that the universe yelled at me. And I was like, yeah, uh, okay. Whatever you say, you know, and just did it. And they were all looking at me like I was nuts, but that's, it's the same thing with when we were doing the end of act one. And I said to them, okay, here's what you're going to do. Hope and Bobby, you're going to grab onto each other. And then you're going to grab onto him and you're going to grab people. You're going to take, you're going to take sides. And I said, like, um, and I told him the story of my child. So <laughs> this is so dumb, but <laughs> my parents were divorced and my family didn't get along. Mm -hmm. And one of the stories from my child when I was like two was that it was my father's birthday. This is before my parents broke up. And my brother was maybe four and a half. And my father was a drinker and he always came home late and they were waiting for him to like have some sort of birthday thing. And he came in the door or something and they wanted the kids to stay up. And she was like, "This it's 8.30, it's past these small children's bedtime. Mm -hmm. And she said, it literally came to members of both of our families grabbing onto the two of you and pulling you back and forth. Oh my gosh. And so I said, this is the image that I have for this. Yeah. So I said, and it needs to all, and I said, and I have this idea because, you know, oh, by the way, Spencer Caden wanted to be on roller skates. And I said, you could be on roller skates in the <laughs> show. because That was from her toolkit. Yeah. So I, I was like, sure, little Sally could be on roller skates. So, um, <laughs> so I said, it's, this is going to be, you're going to start to pull on each other. And then you're going to start to turn in one movement. It's going to be like the ice capades and Spencer is going to be like that person. And do you know the thing I'm talking about the ice capades yeah. where they go around yeah. in a circle and there's one that can't catch up to the outside. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's what mm -hmm. we're doing. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, but in fact we did it and it was absolutely brilliant. And every time we did it, the timing came out perfect. And I was like, yeah. I don't even know how this is working, you know? And it was <laughs> always like that. The customer said, what do you want? And I said, well, I need Penny Pennywise to look like when the world ended, like the post-apocalyptic thing mm -hmm. ended, that she was the madam of a whorehouse, but mm -hmm. she went straight to a job in the toilet. So yeah. I want her, so she wore like a bustier and bloomers, and then she had a house coat, and I gave her a plunger to hold in her hand, like, <laughs> you know, like an opera singer, and, and she had a, like a hairnet on her head. That was my image for that. Mm -hmm. And that and that was how everything went. When they, they brought me the fabric for Spencer, she had all these different fabrics. And then she had this fabric that had all kinds of little dogs on it. And I was like, that's the fabric. She has to make an outfit out of the fabric with little dogs on it, you know? Yes. So this is what happened with the show. So we did the show in this crazy thing. And it, it 
with by the time we were opening, people were coming to me saying, all the other shows are talking of, I heard over at my rehearsal how great your show is. Oh, and I was wow. like, really? That's wonderful. And the next thing we knew, we were the biggest hit of the uh, of the entire um, season. They asked, they did something they'd never done. They asked us to stay over for two weeks. Wow. wow. And we had agreed, the three of us, that any money we made, we would split, Mark and Greg and I. Mm -hmm. And then when we decided to hold the show over, I said, look, we can't take any more money. We need to split this money between the actors. They've mm -hmm. already put in all this effort. This is not right. And that's in fact what we did. Awesome. So the show is held over for two weeks. It's a huge hit. Nobody can believe it. They're like, ah, uh -uh. but there's a contract that says, if you take this show from the fringe, you have to pay a fee to the fringe with, for the, if you take it within two years or. Oh, okay. Years, so if you do anything, anything anywhere or just Broadway. Anything, anywhere. Okay. Oh, At least in wow. New York, I think. So off Broadway okay. too. So, oh, by the way, I didn't tell you this. When I said to them that I figured it was 14 people, they looked me in the eye and they said to me, well, we don't want it to go to Broadway. And I said, don't ever say that out loud oh, again. No. no I said- well, what are you bringing into the Fringe Fest for then? Well, the <laughs> only way, they wanted to go to Off-Broadway. And I, and you know, oh, understand there are, originally when they did, um, uh, little shop, little little shop. Yeah. It only played off Broadway. That's yeah. right. That's right. So mm -hmm. it wasn't an heard of thing in the seventies and eighties for a show to be off Broadway. But by the nineties, I said to them, "You'll never. All of these producers follow one another. You're yeah. never going to get a producer unless you say this is a Broadway show. I don't care if it's only going to go to off Broadway. You mm -hmm. have to tell them it's a Broadway show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which is why it was the fourteen people and everything. So, um, indeed, there was an enormous amount of talk. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened next was that producers came in and one of the really well-known producers from Broadway was a woman named R.L. Tepper, who I haven't anything nice to say about, but oh. <laughs> uh, she, um, yeah, she was a witch, but she came and she said, I, I, I wouldn't produce this show. <laughs> but these two other jokers came, um, whose names I've actually forgotten, who were not real theater producers. They had done other stuff, Okay. you know, other kind, I don't know if they did like, uh, you know, World Federation wrestling or I don't, but they were producers of something other than what we would know of as theater. Mm -hmm. And they came in and they decided that they wanted the show. And very quickly they met with Mark and Greg and their lawyers, they said, we don't want Joe, we want, um, a bigger name director, someone with more experience. Oh. So they didn't have experience. So their experience was to just bring someone in with more experience mm -hmm. that just had a name attached. Right. And remember, right. every Broadway show now is about who yeah. you got. How That's many the followers? First question asked, yeah. How right? many followers you know? do you have on Twitter? <laughs> so this was already the beginning of that kind of, of oh, thing. Goodness. I mean, I remember yeah. I was so shocked when I went in, I believe it was I can't remember the, the number of producers we had on Candide was just like, it, Garth Drabinsky from Canada was the big producer, but there were like other producers already. Mm -hmm. By the time I did my second Broadway show in 2004, which was called Jumpers, there were 40 producers, 40. Wow. Was like, wow. So this was already headed that direction. So they decided they didn't want me and they their lawyer said to them, you must not engage him. You must never speak to him again. You must Whoa. not tell him anything. You must not. I mean, it was so literally Mark and Greg never spoke to me again. I did have one interaction with Mark. Mark was very, very kind, um, but they wanted to be successful and they 
didn't care. Now, yeah. just a funny little side story. It, it, right after this, the, the, the next year, or this, no, it's the same summer, I guess, I directed another show that went off Broadway that I got dumped from and they went and got a, and they went and got a different director. Bunch of um, pissers. That show never made it to Broadway, but, <laughs> oh, um, man. but yeah, it, it, that wasn't an uncommon thing to have happen. And I yeah. would have been happy to assistant direct, but they were like, no, he won't know his place, you know, whatever. And I didn't know what was actually going to happen, which, so here's another little wrinkle to this. Mm. Okay. It is illegal to film shows in New yeah, York, fr- yeah, uh, yeah. equity shows, except for a small little piece for promotion. Right. Okay. But I said to them, we need to have something to give these actors when they finish this work. So right. I had them record the entire production to give to the actors. Okay. Okay. So it's not a great video, but it's a video that you can see. Mm-hmm. So they, the producers don't want to pay the fringe. So they say, we won't produce this for a year or two years, whatever it was, I think it's two, um, until that uh, contract elapses. Okay. And that, so These it kind of goes- These guys sound like just upstanding gentlemen right now. <laughs> don't they sound wonderful? Yeah. It only gets Holy better. mackerel. Oh, goodness. So- now, you know, I directed and choreographed that entire production. Yeah. So then they go and they do the off-Broadway show. Um, another super interesting irony, there was a woman that I was in Candide with. who I was a swing in Candide, and so was she, and a really talented woman. And I'd said to her when I was casting the, fr- the Fringe, I think you should be in this show. You'd be fantastic. And she's like, I'm not interested. <laughs> Flashed a couple of years later, she was in the off-Broadway production and indeed the Broadway production. So was that she? was- um, her name is Rachel, uh, Rachel Koloff. Yes. Okay. So talented. So amazing. If you're out there, God bless you. Um, so, um, anyhow, it, when they did the off-Broadway production, they did invite me to come to the preview performance or whatever. And I went with a couple people that I knew from the, um, my production. Let me ask you at this yes. point in time, nothing suspicious had happened at this point. You had just kind of been let go. So when you went to go see this production, were you just going because you thought you were going to see a great show with people that you still knew hmm. and that you, you uh, well, had had a part so of it Spencer earlier? Spencer was the only person they took. Okay. Oh, okay. They, they rejected everybody else. Okay. Okay. Um, and I was suspicious because okay. they didn't put it in a theater. They went and they got this place that was an off-Broadway space that they then, like, I didn't want the garage to begin with, but right. they redid this space to look like the garage Stop. that I didn't want to begin with. Oh, no. And I was like, what? <laughs> so already I was like, that's so weird because this yeah. show actually would be much better in a nice little proscenium, little box because yep. it's real traditional theater. And all I remember really was that, was the shock. And I remember that when the lights came up after act one, the people around me looked at me and they said I was ashen because I was watching my blocking, my choreography, my creativity put on people that I wouldn't have cast, not because they're not talented, but because they actually aren't really the best for the role. So Penny Pennywise, when I did the show, I could not belt like Nancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. She, but she had a head voice. And so I, and I said, and it, it's, it's better for the song. Right. Yeah. Um, it, if, if I can 
horribly offend your ears and the ears of <laughs> all of your listeners. Please. There's there's something to be said for someone who who sings the politicians in their wisdom song. Because what it does is it it conjures up that mature operatic woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Rather than the politicians in their which is what yeah. Nancy is. And she does it brilliantly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, but also I wanted to come the idea for me was that you don't want to look at Cladwell and Pennywise and imagine them having any kind of romance. Right. You don't want to suspect right. them as being attractive. What you right. want to see is old, overweight, kind of not attractive people who mm-hmm. then when they look at each other, see the young, attractive person that they were. Yeah. And then when they start to flirt, it makes you uncomfortable because nobody wants to watch old people get busy. <laughs> That's funny, right? Yeah. When, yeah. when we were doing the show, um, the one thing that Jay and Spencer had that was, was so extraordinary was that Spencer chose to make... Uh, her character so brilliantly smarter than every other person on the mm-hmm. planet. And Jay chose to make his character um, very, very emotionally not aware of himself mm-hmm. and very puffed up. And so when Sally sits, I had, I purposely had Sally sit on his knee and Spencer chose to sort of come on to him and it was brilliantly funny. And Jay was so uncomfortable and it was so funny. Greg yes. Codis, who had a daughter at the time, got really mad, was like, she can't do that. And I was like, why not? Because she's a child. I said, she's not a child. She's, she's acting an adult, like a child. She's an yeah. adult playing a child. Right. Yes, the character's a child, but this show's ridiculous. Like this is not real yes. child molestation and they're not gonna actually <laughs> get it on. She's no. just so smart. She's so yeah. preternaturally um, mature and it's post-apocalyptic. So she's seen a lot of crap. So she, right. you know, knows how to play the game. Well, he just hated it, but it, it, Spencer was brilliant. So then I'm watching the show and I see this guy who's got the bombastic part, but he's got none of the charm of Jay mm-hmm. and he's got none of the, he and Spencer have no chemistry. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jay and Spencer loved each other and there was so much love on the stage. It was just, it was palpable. Yeah. And then I watched my Bobby, like I said, he didn't have the voice that um, Hunter. Hunter Hunter has, but he was tall and broad and, and blonde and, and, and open-faced. And when he, uh, so you felt like when Hope was in his arms, you felt like she was tiny. Yeah. And, um, and I had them put, hope into like this really traditional flower dress but then I had to cut it really low and push her boobs up so that she had <laughs> unintentional cleavage yeah and mm-hmm. she was supposed to be t- utterly unaware of yeah but everybody yeah. else was like holy god you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah. she wasn't chesty but it just it was effective and so I saw this very pretty girl who played a very simple ingenue that wasn't especially anything yeah. And I was like, no, she needs to be the smartest person on earth. And she needs to be a woman who is so independent and so intelligent that you wouldn't expect her to fall in love and be willing to follow a guy. You know, I just, so I, I wanted yeah. these archetypes and I got yeah. none of them, but I sure did get all of my work. I mean, they did the whole act, end of act one thing with the, them spinning around. The only thing they changed is that they lifted Bobby and Hope up over the people's heads. Yeah which was okay, but it wasn't more effective in my opinion. And it it obviously took a lot more rehearsal. And by the way, 
I went backstage afterwards and I talked to my friends who were in the cast and they were the most miserable people I had oh. ever seen because their experience was horrendous. Oh, that's yeah. such an awful way because it's such a great show. Yeah, I know. It's such a and fun, really like as an actor, I so want fun. to be able to come to work and like love the show and love the people and love the experience. Yes. But yeah. that's awful and, to just- And my not- cast- had such a good time and they yeah. were so proud of themselves and they were in a place that was 90 degrees and you know it was it, it, <laughs> so these people were in an air conditioned place off broadway making good miserable. money and yeah. they were miserable <laughs> and i understood why because yeah. uh, you know the the people they were working with didn't have their own talent they were stealing mine yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. And, if and they look, probably didn't have any kind of creative say in their characters at all if it was kind of just taken from one right. video to the stage. Well, obviously John Collum did because he completely changed. Oh God, changed, he's brilliant. I mean, know, it, I will honestly say that I love John Collum in that role. He, I don't it, know yeah. what the what your right. what the guy that you cast was, but John Collum is brilliant. Yeah, he totally made it his own and he's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But he actually is a man that you can look at and say, I could see how he was handsome when he, he's actually totally. still handsome now. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> and that completely. to me sort of, it tips the hand a little, sure. you know, okay. I think, I think Nancy's fantastic, but she was, she was slim and she was wearing work clothes and uh, uh, pants. And it was like, this is not, you're missing the archetypes of the thirties here yeah, that right, just, that yeah. make the show to me, it's just, the more fun because remember i mean the show ends with them yelling hail malthus it, yes. it, it is a reference that's so obscure nobody yeah, would know what it is i had to look it up yeah of course <laughs> i really you did know, um there's so much about the show that is a is referential to something before mm-hmm. that it doesn't oh the other thing oh by the way this is another example of like just life doing what remember when we, the the song um Oh, what the hell is the song? It's uh, sorry, it's so long ago. <laughs> it's the song where where they're in the dark uh, with flashlights. Oh, uh, the cop song. Isn't it just called Cop? Mm, it's no. not that one. It's oh shoot. <laughs> I thought it's it- the one where they end up at the end of the song doing bing bang, a bing boom. That one. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's a snuff that girl. Uh. Or maybe it is the cop so, song. Not, yeah, no, no. because Snuff That Girl's not in, in flashlights. I thought it was the cop song. What do you call the cop I song? What do you call the cop song? I mean, it's literally called cop song. Um, where, they're ta- uh, where they're talking about all the different people that they've arrested that have gone to Urinetown. Because there's um, there was a time like they had just flashlights. Okay, I need you to read. What's the, <laughs> what's the opening song of act two? Uh, do you have it? Uh, what is you're in town? No, go after that. <laughs> snuff that girl. It must be, wait, after snuff that girl. Run, freedom, run. Oh, okay. So it must be snuff that girl. Well. But that wasn't with flashlight. Well, it wasn't on the Broadway one. Maybe it well, was so, yours. So that, this is the funny thing. So I decided I want, when they're hiding out, they're like hiding out. Yeah. From, right. With, that and they've got, the, they got the girl, snuff right? That girl. Yeah, And I wanted them to be underneath this place in the back of the stage where I was working and there was no lighting and I could not get the lights to focus in there. Because remember, I only got to light it in about two Half hours. Hour? Oh, okay. Right. You know, right. You I no literally time. just, yeah. and, and, and it was, and the, the lighting person was doing a bunch of shows and had watched my show, but, but wasn't able to uh, fully grasp 
what I needed. Sure. So I literally said to the lighting person, I want you to show me every single light you have and tell me what number it is. And it was like one through 18. And I memorized the numbers and I said, okay, <laughs> act one, scene one, you're going to do this number, this number, this number, this one at 50, this one at this. And I literally just talked wow. to the whole show. He was like, holy balls. I was like, Hey, <laughs> when you got to do it, you got to do it. Right. You know? Yeah. And so I could not get lights underneath this place on the stage. And I really wanted to do it there. And so I just said, okay, we're going to use flashlights. And once again, they were like, <laughs> we're going to what? And I said, give them flashlights, turn the flashlight on your face when it's your time to sing. And it was really funny because yes. all you ever saw was one person at a time in a flashlight singing. Well, they do that in another, in uh, 42nd street, well, right? Do they? They, there is a scene in the train cars. Each car ha is has its own light and it only turns on on a certain person solo. Well, what do you yeah. know? So yeah. in other words, the universe and or I stole it from somewhere else that I was unaware of. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, the thing is that, that uh, um, it ended up being really funny too because the, yeah. I, this idea of them hiding in the dark like, yeah. all the time was just stupid. And that was really <laughs> like what we were going with. So, you know, here I am watching every idea that I came up with out of necessity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not because I'm brilliant, because I was, I had very little time and no money. And yeah. um, I mean, literally the sets were painted by my friends. I had my friends paint two backdrops Wow. and that's all we had to work with. Yeah. It, you know, the costumes were pulled together. Well, you know how that all is. Yes. So um. Uh, I did the hair for like some of the girls myself. Like it was just, it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, nuts. So um, anyhow, that was a very painful experience. Of course, followed by eventually them doing it on Broadway. And, uh, and then <laughs> winning Tony's for it. Yeah. And if you remember, Greg and Mark mentioned the cast from the, um, the Fringe Festival, but they didn't thank me. I remember them making specific acknowledgement of the Fringe Festival in that speech. And the but cast. I didn't actually know your part of the story until yeah. much, much later. It, it was very, very hurtful. Yeah. And, but you know what I said to my, and remember, it, this is, this is one of two shows that I've directed that has gone on without me. Um, and so I'm like, well, I guess I'm learning my lesson the hard way. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'm not thinking that, you know, by this point now, the, the off-Broadway was 2001. Mm -hmm. I believe that Broadway, it was 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? I think so. Right? Okay. So I've sort of let this all go. And then 2004, I'm doing, I'm performing at a Broadway show again. So I, I've let it all slide. Yeah. Um, so until, <laughs> until out of the blue, mm -hmm. I get this phone call from someone I've never met before, whose name is Tom Mullins. And he has directed the Chicago production of Town, And he's being sued by the talentless, rotten producer villains. No, the, the director. And so, oh, here's the other thing I have to tell you. Sorry, little background. <laughs> Once the show goes to Broadway, the director, the choreographer who don't, who don't have much of a stake in this decide they want more percentage points mm -hmm. and they want them to come from Greg and Mark. And Greg and Mark are like, no, they're not coming from us. Right. We're not taking our, our money. Right. Of course, the producers aren't going to give away anything. Right. So it becomes a whole thing about their, you know, creativity. And I think they may have- Even though it was your creativity. Well, yeah. exactly. But so- <clears throat> um, 
that had been some sort of issue at the time. And they were still looking to make some money off of the show. So there was a production in Ohio, like Cleveland or something like that, which sure. was, so uh, Hunter's wife was Jen the dance- Cody. Jennifer Jen Cody. Cody, who yeah. I adore, yes. was the dance mm-hmm. captain off Broadway and on Broadway, I think. I would, I would imagine that that would mm-hmm. be the case. And so she ended up directing the production in Cleveland. Okay. I think it was Cleveland. I, I may I'm be getting sure this wrong. It, I think because that's where she's from. So I think that you are correct, or okay. at least I'm, where she know, went to yes. college. So you know, because I haven't thought about this in a lot of years. So I apologize to everybody <laughs> out there. Like, you know, the scariest thing about this is that you, you, if you're me, you say to yourself, am I going to tell the truth or am I going to just be making up stories? Because they say that human beings, uh, their memories, when they're their memories actually change what the truth is for them yeah. over time. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing the best I can. And I'm a rather, <laughs> I try to be an honest person. But anyhow, this is how I remember it. So he calls me and he says that they're being sued by John, um, what's his name? Black <laughs> the director? Names. Yes, it's, it's, there's two Johns, John something, John Carava with the director and choreographer. Um, do you I'm have that list up? up? Yeah. Give me a second. We, we, we want to mention that we yeah. want to mention the villains' names. Oh, absolutely, bastards. we do. We got to so, call them the carpet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, John Rando. John Rando. What? And John Carafa. And John Carafa. So John Car- Rando is the director. Yes, yes John Rando is the director. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by the That's way, right. I don't. I think Carafa like only worked once after all this because he was so awful. People hated him so much, he, and he was yeah. abusive to his well, performers. I, so I know the the name and I think that he had something to do with the next episode that we'll be recording in which I'm doing it. So I think that I just did a lot of research on John Carafa. Anyhow, (laughs) I've been told he's just an awful person, but we'll leave that go. Um, He did good vibrations. Oh, is that where he was? Okay, that's the one that I just did. So we we just did an, uh, an episode on good vibrations where his name came up. Anyhow, of course, I've got no good feelings for this too because they had yeah. they were really dishonorable towards me and in what was it necessary because I wouldn't have sued them or stopped them from uh, doing the show. I, I probably would have well, helped you them to, to steal my, well, I did. Right. Yes, I did do anything. So <laughs> I was like, well, okay, I'll help any way you want because I yeah. said, well, what do you want me to do? And they said, we want you to tell people what happened. Mm. And I said, well, of course I'll tell people what happened. It's the truth. So like, what's yeah. the difference? And then he said, I have a copy of your performance, the off-Broadway and the Broadway videos of all. So they can match Yes. Yes. And by the way, there still is a video on YouTube that has all three shows side by side. So you can see all the stolen stuff. Amazing. It still exists. I didn't find that. Okay, I have to look for that. We'll I'm not sure where to find it at this point, yeah. but it, it is there. And because, you know, my heart stopped because of course in my mind, it was like, they stole my work. They stole my work. They stole my work. And then when I saw it in black and white, I was like, holy yeah. F-balls. You yeah. so can't deny it. You can't, well, you can because they continue to. So <laughs> um, that's when I also got to meet Jen and talk to them and, and all that kind of stuff. And she explained to me how they literally used the video yeah. to teach no! people to do the show when they brought in new cast members. And I was like, ouch, ouch. That's, I mean, that's horrifying. They that's watched the, vid- the cast, watched the video and putting the show together. I was like, you know, what's mm. really hurtful about this whole thing though, too, is that I think that there is a union rule about that now that you're not allowed to teach someone 
in a union show from a video. Uh, I mean, that's there was just, a union rule about that back then. I'm sure Understand there was. So I knew people, that they're, you know, they're unscrupulous and they're clearly not talented enough because here's the thing. I believe that what what Nancy and and John Cullum and 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 Hunter did mm -hmm. was to show you that you could reinvent these characters and yeah. it would still work. Yes. Yeah. If you believe yeah. in the in the piece and you have enough talent and creativity. Yeah. The notion that you had to steal what I did because what I did wasn't the only way you could do the show. Sure. Yeah. I might argue that I think it's the best way, but I would <laughs> think that wouldn't I? Well, you the know? thing is, Joe, you would have to argue that they felt that it was the best way too because yeah. they stole it. That, right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> so anyhow, um, so that's where I got involved and I did interviews and they said, it, they they got people questioning them and they said things like we've never heard of this guy i mean just it was unbelievable that they, wow. they they tried to erase me from existence and it's like come on there's no way you never heard of this guy <laughs> yeah, right yeah you know yeah. but they just they, their whole thing was that they were told by the lawyers don't ever mention his name mm -hmm. don't admit to knowing he exists don't admit to there being a show at the fringe festival and that's what oh, they did for goodness sake and i don't think they won those court cases in, against the people in cleveland and chicago did they Good. I, don't I, I sure don't see I sure don't see anything um, that they that they won. And I'm still Facebook friends with Tom Mullen, so I'm sure I could find out. Oh, <laughs> I would love to it. get an update on this. The thing is, and where I came into the story, because I was living in Chicago starting in 2003, right. I auditioned for that production at the Mercury oh. Theater. I made it to the callbacks, but didn't make it any further because apparently your choreography is just too hard for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But there are also, it's it, Chicago is a very small community of people. So if you're all, if you're just new to the scene, you're not really probably going to get cast for a long while. Right. And that's right. kind of where oh, I was. It is so insular. I mean, I, I'm from very Chicago. I, I got my equity card in Chicago at um, okay. um, Drury Lane Oakbrook. Yeah. I've done a show there and it's a great city and it's great and incredibly talented people, but you are absolutely right. It's very difficult to get in if you're not in yet. Yes. Um, so I did that and, you know, I was very excited. I knew some people in the cast, so I was very excited to go and see it. And then all of a sudden there was just a little bit of hubbub here and there about how maybe the show is getting canceled and maybe they're, you know, saying, well, they can't rehearse anymore. Or they can't do the show anymore. Or maybe someone's getting sued. And like, it was like, what is going on? So there was this huge amount of scandal already involved in it. And I was like, wow, like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's crazy. I I don't know um, what to tell you about that because I <laughs> once honestly I don't know what happens after that because all I did was do what they asked me to do to try to help yeah. them out. Right. And then yeah. and then I left it behind because once again it was oh the one other thing that happened is I did finally contact a lawyer myself. But by okay. this time it had to be, gosh, two thousand seven, eight, nine. Mm -hmm. I don't seven something like that mm -hmm. and oh, the lawyer said to me i'm really sorry but you just missed the statute of limitations wow. nothing you can do. and i was like i'm gonna ask because i had these videos and i could yeah. have used them you know yeah so went well but <laughs> in the end it doesn't really matter because that's the funny thing about life is that um it actually it, even when you're in theater it feels like the theater's your whole life but later on in life sometimes you find out when you're not in theater the theater is there's the yep. life is bigger than theater <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> yeah 
So I, I still love the show and everything. And I, and, oh, God, and, oh, it's a and, great show. So and, fun. And by the way, if I can be really snarky one more second. Of course. <laughs> a couple of years, you know, I always say that the, Greg and Mark should bless the day they met me because they didn't know what they had. I'm the person, I mean, I had to talk Greg into understanding his show yeah. the way I understood it. Yeah. Uh, especially Greg. Mark was very easy to work with. He was, he was willing to change anything. He did not have an ego about his stuff. Nice. But a couple of years later, they tried to do another show. What was that show? Well, yeah. I, do you remember that? Well, I can't remember this. Because uh, once again, I can't, I can't remember. All I remember is, is saying to myself, that number one, they're trying to do something as outrageous as you're in town. Because, mm. you know, you're in town. I tried to get them to change the title. I said, you cannot put the word urine in the title of a show. <laughs> it's a great idea. And it's funny. I said, but change it to like Y-E-R-N town. And then it'll still sound like urine. <laughs> Which but, is also on the, if you, the poster. Is it? Yes. That's on the poster. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? It's like, yeah. Uh, um, well, I, I see something it. called oh. uh, with Greg Pig Farm. Pig Farm, that's what it made. Are they it animals? It premiered at Roundabout uh, in New York City in 2006. And are they pigs or are they, I think that, I thought they were like something else. I think that they were animals. I thought they were like, I don't know. Well, they it's were... called Pig Farm, but that doesn't mean it's actually anything. I actually think that they're like, Eat like creatures that live on pigs or something. I don't know. Who knows? We could, you could, does it not tell you the description of the show? There. Let me, let me look up. Okay. Yeah. yeah so your job is to Google your brains out lady. You know, side note <laughs> on notch. the title. Oh, because, go ahead. Uh, I was working, I'm still in Bloomington, Illinois at the time that it was on Broadway. And I remember that a couple of people that I knew through the community theater scene were going to New York for a visit and they were going to go see some shows. And they said, well, the show that we're most excited about is this show called you're in town. And I went, wait, you're in town and they go no no you're in town <laughs> and i literally was like whoa <laughs> why is this and the thing is what's funny about it is that so other people have tried to to um capitalize on this really original brilliance i totally. mean i would i would actually argue that uh what's the hell town or whatever yeah uh oh uh is it hell hades town hades town mm-hmm. is an attempt to try to capitalize on that kind of topic matter that is, you know, um, scandalous or, you know, sure. and, and when I saw that they were doing the, the pig farm thing, I just thought they're never going to put it together because they don't even see their own brilliance as it, yeah. as it is, yeah. you know, they think that you're in town works for a different reason than it works. So, yeah. and indeed pig farm didn't go anywhere. So, I mean, this one looks like it actually is about pig farming. The plot centers around pig farmer Tom and his wife, Tina, whose troubled marriage is near the breaking point. She desperately wants a baby while he's more concerned with the imminent arrival of an environmental protection agency inspector. Okay, well, there you go. So I'm wrong. It's actually about pig farming and there are people in it. Well, if but the EPA is coming, there might be something involving parasites I mean, or biological. This, this and review course, is not great. Well, of course. I mean, here's the thing. So the thing about urine town is that it's about everything but urine. It's it's right. about right. Um, society and and relationships and mm-hmm. about um, uh, environmental um, friendliness and yeah. conservation. 
that's what really? makes it wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and it, it had that wonderful surprise, which is when the good guys win and they take over the world, they end up using up all the water and they're yeah. so I love yeah. that. I mean, it's it's so brilliantly told. And I, I'm with you as far as like the archetypes being there and the reason it's so successful and why it's so hilariously funny is because you are putting these completely ridiculous off the wall topics in the mouths of the ingenue and the big strapping yeah. you know, guy and, and the soubrette character and like it, because it's so ridiculous, but they're playing it straight is why it is so successful. Yeah. Right. And, and so for me, it's like, what you want to do is take the characters from It's a Wonderful Life <laughs> and put them in this post-apocalyptic yes. situation. Yes. <laughs> yes. As opposed to taking the characters from, you know, um, some contemporary movie or show uh, that's like a, um, you know, Smallville or something. Right. So that's not a really good one. A good example of something contemporary. Oh, um, Gossip Girl. Gossip Girls. That's exactly the perfect one. <laughs> and so that's exactly right. That's what you want to do. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to, and, and so that's why I objected um, to a lot of what I saw in the off-Broadway and Broadway, because I said to myself, it's, it's, it's not that it's not good. It's that you have performers who are so excellent that they're making these choices work. Yeah. 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 You know. I mean, that is one thing that they did absolutely right. And I'm speaking of the two Johns right now, John Rando and John Carafa, is that they cast people who were so brilliant at what they did that they still made it work, even yes. with now, stolen remember, material. They didn't actually cast the show because by the time you get to the sh show to their place, they have, because there's money, they have casting yeah. directors who uh, find right. them stars. Right. Well, there you right. go. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because those two, those were established Broadway people already. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You and know. shout out to casting directors because they're the big support system behind actors in this day and age. They're yeah, the ones absolutely. that, yeah, they're the ones absolutely. that see us. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I had a, 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 you know, a decent, fairly long career. I was in show business for 30 years and um, did a couple of Broadway shows, all that stuff. I um, saw a wide variety of casting directors and the one thing I can tell you is that in the beginning of my career, which was in the early 80s, you go into an audition and you would have the director, choreographer, casting director, people right there. Yeah. By the time I was done, you had the mentally disabled third cousin of the assistant casting director for your initial audition. And you didn't get in front of the casting director till you were in the third callback and you didn't yeah. see the director I, it was nuts. It was like, how can you be putting a show together that you trust? Yeah. And, and, and because once again, too, the other thing is, who can we get? So you, yeah. you, the first thing you do yeah. is you fill it with celebrities. Not even, that's the other complaint, if I can just make a, Not, a Broadway yeah, complaint right. right here. We complain about that a lot, though, Joe. So go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> when I started in show business way, way back in the 20th century, last century, um, <laughs> You people from Broadway went out to Hollywood and they were in the, you brought them out to Hollywood because they were considered pros, ringers, capable of, of, of great dimensional performances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to the 21st century, you're bringing any celebrity off a reality show to Broadway yeah. because yep. people recognize them. Yeah. And it's right. disgusting and it, it should is disgusting. stop. And I, I mean, and now I, it's I was, TikTok even. Yes, I was having a fight, a fight. I was having an argument with a friend just even this morning talking about now I'm going to be unfair because I'm sure you guys love this and everyone else loves it. And I haven't seen it, <laughs> but 
I, we were talking about the movie West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now I, and my complaint was, I'm sorry, but but not unlike um, the movie of Les Mis, there are actor singers I know who can sing the living daylights out of it yeah. and act it. So I don't want to accept Ansel Elgort and people going, I was surprised that Baby Driver could sing. That's not good enough for me. You know, when I when I saw Les Mis, I was- Oh gosh. I was okay with um, the dude that played Marius. What's his name? Famous actor, Eddie Redmayne. Um, yes. Yeah, Eddie. Talented was, guy. I think he started out in musical theater though. Right. Yes, yes. But he doesn't have the voice that the guy who played Angel Ross. No, has God. Aaron Devite, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. right. Right. There was no reason why they didn't just cast Aaron Devite as Marius because he yes. would have sung and acted the daylights out of it. Well, I am the first one to say I don't care who you are, what you've done before. If you are a good performer and you tell the story, I want you. And the thing is, too, and we've had this discussion a lot about Russell Crowe in particular. Russell Crowe is a good actor. Yes. So the fact that he ruined Les Mis (laughs) surprises the heck out of me. And I'm not just talking about the auto-tuning because that was, oh, I hate auto-tuning. It's my, it's the worst thing ever. For some reason, the second he starts to sing a note, he loses all connection with the material that he's got, which is uh, a breadth of material that has been around for, I don't even know how long. It is brilliantly written and has so much depth to it, but for some reason, he's nothing anymore, not even surface level. But you know what the most offensive part of that is? He wasn't having to sing live. He gets to record and then sing along with himself, which um, that's the other problem is they lip sync in movies now. In the old days when they made movie musicals, they sang along with themselves so that they had to breathe properly and make the right the right facial expressions and stuff. And, and now they don't make them do that. And it drives me crazy. Yeah. You know, you know, a simple, decent director could have said, let me show you how to act a song. It's right. actually really, really simple. Yeah. Well, he yeah. was working with Roberta, Roberta Juchek. She was doing the voice act. She's a big Chicago person, right? She does know how to do this, right? She has been a performer for ages. Do you see signs that they actually allowed her to do anything with Russell Crowe? I guess no, but I, I, I no. Okay, I mean, once again, do you not I mean, think that she? No, I don't think she got within ten. I mean, I think if she got within ten feet of him, he didn't listen to a goddamn thing she said. Maybe that's the case too. Yeah, you know, which is really weird. And yeah. uh, and I just want to say like. I, so I haven't seen my sister, as I said, but Ariana DeBose is like talent on a stick. She's yes. unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's the thing about that cast is like all the other leads came from a theater background. He's right. like the only one that didn't. And I was like, why? Yeah. Why? There are the, and I can, I met hundreds upon hundreds of people in my time in New York who were unbelievably talented that way. Mm-hmm. They in fact were multiple threats. Sure. Hugh Jackman himself I mean, I loved him in A Boy From Oz. Yeah. But you need to have enough sense to know. I once did a reading of a show and I kept saying to the director and the the composer, I don't have the voice for this role. Yeah. Why am I in this role? You're, you know, I'm going to be screaming and you're not going to like it and and it's not going to (laughs) help your show. Yeah. And they just wouldn't listen to me. You got to have a sense of who you are. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, apparently Mr. Jackman doesn't because he should never have agreed or if he was gonna do that role, he should have had someone help him. Yeah. Because for all of the things I can say bad about Combe Wilkinson, 
when it comes to Jean Valjean, he knocks it out of it's the damn park. Beautiful. It's really you know? beautiful. And even the greatest people can't do everything. You know, I saw Patty Lapone's one woman show. She can't sing an up happy up tempo song to save her life. <laughs> all she can do is tear down the walls over and over, which she can do over and over and over again all night long. And it's amazing. <laughs> and she's Patty Lapone, for God's yeah. sakes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, she's listen made, to me you now. Know, she's... If this gets out, uh, wait. Does Patty Lapone listen to your podcast? Because I'm in trouble. <laughs> I don't know. We've I... mentioned her before too. We have, but but like not in a bad. I mean, we no. mentioned her like uh, when she, in the, the cell phone of like, incident yeah, of like wanting to <laughs> yeah. punch people in the throat because Which they, I understand. I, I, I prove. Yeah. But now I've told people where I live, including Patty. Now, if she's listening, <laughs> she's going to come and she's going to beat the daylights out of me. She will. Maybe she'll think it's Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you for that. I mean, most people do. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Honestly, she's got a lot of free time if she can be bothered coming right. looking for me, right? No, Absolutely. I no, I don't um, think she'll be bothered by what you're saying right now. You know, and she's someone that is just a, a phenomenal actor. I just, yeah. I think her acting is actually better than her singing. I think her acting is what makes her singing even work. I agree completely. And I think sometimes because she's been told so many times now that she's this powerhouse voice, that mm -hmm. the voice now, because it's what people go to see. It kind of yeah. distracts from everything else. Also, because if you actually listen to her in Evita, she has nuance. She's able to sing yes. soft and high and pretty, which is all there. Now we all get older, so your voice changes, but she does yeah. feel, she seems to feel the need to, to, to beat every song like it's an ex-husband, <laughs> if you will. Although well, I want to, I've listened to, I like her uh, as Joanne in, in company from what I listened to the West End production. And I am looking forward to uh, seeing her when she's healed from COVID um, at, you know, the Broadway one. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, sure. <laughs> I'm just one of those people that, <laughs> you know. I'm not, I tell people all the time though, people always want me to go to shows and see movies. And I say, I am not the person because I will ruin this for you. And I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. I, cause I don't have, the universe is extremely insistent. And so when I go to see a show, I sit there and the universe yells at me that like he was wrong, that costume is wrong, that blocking <laughs> yeah. is wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I, I come out of a show after act one with friends and they say, what did you think? And I'm like, please don't make me tell you. And so they're like, I really liked it. And they, what did you, no, I want to hear, I want to hear. And then I go like cue to cue what was wrong with the show. And they're like, yeah. oh, I see what Ebony, you mean. And now the show's and I for me. <laughs> used to, I don't really leave my apartment much anymore. <laughs> but yeah. Ebony and I have been to shows together. We went to go see Pacific Overtures. We went to go see She Loves Me and a couple, I think like Hello, one Dolly. other. Hello Dolly with Bernadette Peters. Anyway, oh. um, we leave the show and both of us have this a kind of unwritten rule that we don't say anything. We just sit on the subway and then we get back to Astoria <laughs> and we get to a point where we can walk safely away from other people. And then we kind of open up because I think, I think being a part of theater, being in it and inside that world, it does ruin it for you to be an audience member because you see creatively speaking what you could have done differently which doesn't necessarily mean that the show was bad yeah. it just like it gets those creative juices going so much to the point where you're like oh like what if they had done this or like oh that would have been so exciting now also there are shows that are just really not good yeah. or there are shows that and are half good you know right yeah. like like pippin 
I never oh, understood yes. why anybody doesn't rewrite Pippin. Sure. The, the composer's still alive, for Christ's yeah. sake. They're working it, on it. That's all I'm going to say. Are I they? know that. Because yeah. it's, here's the problem. If, if you're listening out there, Steven, listen to me. <laughs> it's two shows, and the act one show is the good one. So yeah. all you need to do is figure out how you can make act two <laughs> look like act one. Like, make a show that has a chorus in it in act two. You know, yeah. give us... Give us a plot that makes sense because what happens is it, it's this great thing and then it unravels because it becomes this plot about a guy who inadvertently joined a show he didn't want to be in. Right. And that's not the point at all. Yeah. So yeah. they're not going to listen because no one ever listens to me. They just <laughs> steal my work and run off. <laughs> But. Well, then you just need to mount a production of Pippin in your yeah. style and hope that someone sees it and steals it. <laughs> Guess who's retired? Me. <laughs> I'm not even directing here because I found people like, they're going to love you. They're going to love you. And I, what I found out was, and this is, I, I hate to sound ungenerous, but that there's the world is full of people who are mediocrities and are very comfortable mm. in their mediocrity. Yeah. They mm. don't want excellence. And if you yeah. try to bring it, you either intimidate them or you... Um, inconvenience them. Sure. That's why I've just stopped doing theater and taken up mm -hmm. drinking and I'm good at it. So, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I've seen, I saw Elaine Stritch in At Liberty, her one woman show. Oh my Lord. On I Broadway. Can... I, you will never see anything that great again. Honestly, yeah, it, it was unbelievable. That. I saw Maggie Smith in Let Us in Lovage on Broadway in 1991. Oh, amazing. You'll never see anything like that again. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um theater's I, I, different. You know, you know what I think you should do uh <laughs> is start a troupe. I can't start wait your, to know. I know, start your own <laughs> theater you troupe. Yeah. Like almost like a not necessarily improv theater, but like like an improv group. You just have a kind of a revolving door of actors who are all kind of like-minded and you guys just get together and you create. Girl, I love that you still have that much heart left in you. But <laughs> It's it it's be like starting a family at this point in my life. It takes too much energy. I'm too old. I can't be bothered. I mean, yeah. honestly, and the and the biggest problem, of course, now is that back in the day, whatever the day was, when I first moved to New York, which was 1990, hmm. I used to go. I lived in the Upper West Side, and I would every weekend I would walk out my door, and there was free entertainment on every corner. Hmm. Homeless people, crazy people. It was fun, and you'd take <laughs> the train downtown to the East Village. And some storefront hellhole would have a show in it. And it would be these people, and they were paying nothing for it. And they were using crap out of the out of grandma's closet. And the shows were fabulous. Today, you can't do anything without a hundred thousand dollars. You can't put on a puppet show. Yeah. It's just I, the world has gone mad. And, yeah. I, and so that's why you can't, you know, you can't get the the costumes out of the attic and put a show up in the barn anymore yeah. it's yeah. just not possible yeah it makes true. me sad but it's that's what i see it is sad ebony and i talk about this constantly we're yeah. you know in the 90s right now of episodes that we've put out since we first started doing this podcast and almost every single one of those shows that we talk about you know will say that they put on the show for 18 million dollars or 12 million dollars and you know you nobody small nobody up and coming can really get a foot in the door 
because so they hard. don't have the resources and they don't have the people to support them and they mm-hmm. don't have the money. And it's so sad and frustrating. And part of the problem is that now 35% of every budget is marketing. Yes. Which which they don't honestly don't even do that well. They put I, signs on I just tabs. went through a program and like our when when we, our instructors were talking about marketing, they were talking about like um, the surveys that they find that like the marketing that's happening, that's not even what audiences want to know. Right. And it's like you can't get people you know, there's new, there's new, uh, advertising and media companies coming up that are trying to change some of this, but it's like a lot of the old ones do the old same old stuff. And it's not even what audiences want to know about the show. Well, and honestly, the free marketing comes from having the stars in your show that people go to see. They're like, I don't care what the show's about. Hugh Jackman is in it. Or, you know, the the people that have millions of followers on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram who, you know, they post one video and all of their fans are like, oh, right, let's go see that show because she's in it. Right. Or the show is a recognizable commodity. And there's that right. too. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 all of those things. And yeah. You know, Ebony, I just realized that you're not actually sitting in that room that's no. behind you. <laughs> I'm like, that roaring fire looks fantastic and it never changes. <laughs> wow, I really am a genius, aren't I? Unbelievable. <laughs> that's, that's when I show my age and I'm like, you know, how do you work this Zoom thing? <laughs> this Listen. Zoom. You can see that I've got a photo of my dogs and a mirror and like, this is my setup. I don't even have anything special behind yeah. me either. Well, you know, I'm still on the Facebook. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an old generation. Anyhow, so I, I hope that that was interesting. To it was, somebody. Like yeah. that so was really fascinating. Yeah, it really was. Thank really you so much for chatting with us. Uh, we fun. love the dirt. We love hearing the kind of scandalous stories behind stuff. <laughs> oh, well, then I, we probably should get, have another talk about it and I'll just un, un, uh, unload every bit of dirt I've ever heard in all of my years. <laughs> <laughs> do you <laughs> promise? Yeah, absolutely. I, we, because we <laughs> will call you to do that. Like, Let me don't... tell you, my first national tour was with Debbie Reynolds and <gasps> I played her younger brother. No. In what show? The Unsinkable Molly Brown in 1989. Oh my God! And the stories, girls, that I have, ladies, women, wonderful people that I have from that experience are ones that should never be forgotten because it was an incredible education. It was phenomenal. And when you talk about like the the old school knowing how to do it, man, they knew how to do it. They didn't even need talent because they had some other thing that was taught to them in the studio a, system. Yeah, it's a formula. <laughs> uh, that just blows your mind. So oh, it was that's amazing. A lot of great stories from that. You know. Well, we will be show. asking you back on our podcast. All right. <laughs> we will. Happy to come by. Glad <laughs> and it's not a video. I kind of want to hear about the show that didn't what made it to off Broadway, but not Broadway. I'm kind of interested in that one too. Oh yeah. Well, you know what else? I also d- directed the reading of um it should have been you. If you ever heard yes, of that. Yes. Yes. Jeez. I had so, for that. For it. Okay. So <laughs> I was in the room with David Hyde Pierce. It was the most right. exciting moment of my life at that time. <laughs> yeah. So I got dumped off of that one too, because obviously the, the writer's husband was David Hyde Pierce. Right. But I didn't mind that because I was like, I would dump me for David Hyde Pierce as well. <laughs> However, yeah. when I saw the show on Broadway. I took it back because it was oh. so badly directed. Okay. He just had no idea what he was dealing with. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually get to see it. So that was the only difference well, there. It was dreadful and unfortunate. Oh. And, and part of it was because the original conceit of it 
elapsed between the show being done originally and it being done off, off Broadway. Okay. Um, and also, because they didn't listen to me because I told them <laughs> after the reading, do not accept any offers from, from regional theaters. Hmm. You must get this sucker onto off Broadway immediately. Yeah. And they went and they took an offer from Seattle or somewhere and that okay. delayed it's, you know, and it, it was just one of those situations. Um, but anyhow, and, and, and I can also tell you my story of how I don't like Deborah Monk so much. <laughs> She's, she's kind of a witch gilded, to me. So she's on Gilded Age now and she's not nice on that show. No, and it's, it's she's not acting. That's her just playing. No, oh dear. She's, she's incredibly <laughs> talented. And I'm being yes. really mean for no reason because she wasn't that awful. But we we had an interaction that I felt was um not my not my favorite. And since I was also working at the same time with Harriet Harris, who was an absolute peach. I've her. heard that. I love her too. You know, <laughs> I say to myself, you don't have to be. I don't care how big a star you are. Yeah. You don't have to be a bitch. Well, know? and that's why I like David Hyde Pierce so much because he was, you know, Wonderful listen, guy. he essentially just said, thank you for coming and goodbye <laughs> after my audition for it should have been you. But he was so warm and so oh. welcoming and you felt the support just radiating yeah. from him. So you were just in that room and you knew that he was listening to you. And that's really all you want oh. as an actor. <laughs> he, I was at their apartment in New York, which is like a fabulous apartment. I bet. And, um, and he was just so like, yeah, he's just a regular person. He's a really yeah. good guy. So I don't, yeah. I, I wish, wish him, uh, I think he's, I really admire his work and I wish him sure. all the luck in the world, but um, that was a Well, I, I have, my perspective on it should have been you comes more from a place of inclusivity as far as bodies are concerned. Ah. And something that we've discussed on this podcast before too, is that fat bodies, black bodies, brown bodies do not get the attention that they deserve. And it should have been you was like one of those where you saw that the, the protagonist of this show is in a fat body, but it's because she's fat that she's going through this stuff, not just because she's a wonderful human being that can like tell the story and have this life and get through these things. It, you know, everything is always because of the fact. I Not had a hard time even referring to her as fat because to right? me- Well, she's, she's entertainment fat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, which which means she actually just has curves like a woman yeah. is supposed to have. I think she's and probably she's a, like a 12. And she's like stunningly beautiful. Gorgeous. So that, was, that was the other thing. I was like, how could even this girl, so this, this girl, okay, maybe she's got a couple of extra pounds, but come on, her life can't be like the des they're describing the character to be right. because she's really, really beautiful. And, yeah. you know, and any real man would look at that and say, I don't care that she's not stick thin because real right. men like women that have a shape. I, I sure. you know, so I call BS on that whole thing. But I call BS on the whole thing. Listen, also, we are not as women running around going, oh gosh, I hope the next guy that comes around the corner likes the way that I look. None of us are thinking that. Not You're a not? single one of us. Oh, no. we, don't, we don't dress for men. We don't talk to men because we like them. We're just, you know... <laughs> No, that's terrible. Yeah. But like, that's just it too. It's like yeah. all of these rom-coms have the same kind of formula where the yeah. woman has to change everything about herself in order to gain the acceptance of the man that she ends up being with. But the guy doesn't have to do anything to change what he's doing to get her acceptance because well, it doesn't matter. It's right? all marginalized communities. Every, every, every gay man is yes. witty. Yes. You no, know, and rather fake. Or a little snarky like, or like, gotta, yeah, totally. But I got to tell you, I know some really boring gay guys, like just- <laughs> Ah, oh, you know, they're not all uh, 
as witty as I am, shall we say. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So that's just uh, what it is. And that's our world. And I, and I love that young people like you are, are fighting and are saying, we're not going to accept this any longer. Right. I mean, I don't love that cancel culture because I think yeah. that everything should be an opportunity for education, for yes, learning, that, for growing. We call it, we like call in, call yeah. in. Yeah, that's what we I'm like call, call for the call in, in yeah. too. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. Anyhow, thank you. Well, well thank you was, so much, Joe. Yes. This was a lot of fun. It this really was. was. We look I'm forward to the next it. one where you come back to us because this <laughs> was right. really a blast. So we'll thank be in you. touch I, with you. I enjoyed you very much. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Theater Geeks Anonymous. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGABWAY and on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. And if you want to tell us how much you love us, or you have a great story about one of the shows we've talked about, drop us a note at PGABWAY at gmail.com. Until, Until next time, time geeks. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.